you have your Bibles, would you please open with me to Colossians chapter 1. Late last year, you may have remembered that um, I preached two sermons from the middle of the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 6 and following, not originally intending to preach the whole book. Um, and uh, whether that was short-sighted of me, I'm not sure. But that leaves us with some patchy, with a patchy coverage of the book of Colossians. We've dealt with the middle section. We've dealt with some latter sections. Um, and in order for us to conclude our study of the book of Colossians, we need to go back and cover those sections previously uncovered before we can go back to chapter 4 and finish this short but gloriously Christ-centered epistle. So there are two passages which I'd like us to consider the first tonight and the next, next week. And the one for tonight is Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14. The text before us forms part of Paul's introduction to his letter, which runs really from the beginning of the epistle all the way up to chapter 2, verse 5, before he actually gives his first exhortation to the Colossians. And in this section, this broad introductory section, Paul's purpose is to establish and articulate the relationship that he has with his audience. Establish and articulate the relationship that exists between him and this fledgling church, which he has, at least up until this point, never met face to face. And one of the ways in which he does that, establishing this relationship, as he usually does in his letters, is by letting them know what he is praying about for his readers. That's how he establishes his relationship. His relationship with other Christians is on the basis of the kind of prayers that he has for them. We see this in the opening words of verse 9 where he says that from the day we heard, heard what? Well, heard about their faith, hope, and love. We have not ceased to pray for you. Ever since we heard about you, ever since we heard that you received Christ Jesus as Lord and have been continuing in him, we've been praying for you. And I think we often think of prayer as naturally very private, very personal thing, or else something like a written or prepared prayer we sometimes think of as inauthentic or not genuine. However, Paul would disagree with that. He is public with his prayers, and he's got no issue with letting the Colossians, and by implication us, know what he is burdened about and what he is praying for. And by giving us insight into his prayer life, we learn about Paul's priorities in writing the whole book of Colossians, but more specifically, his priorities for prayer. When Paul prays, what does he pray for? When Paul thinks about the Colossians and he goes on his knees before the Lord, what does he ask about? Of course, there are many kinds of prayers scattered throughout the scriptures, prayers of lament, prayers of confession, prayers of adoration and praise, prayers of invocation. But this is, is more of a prayer of supplication than anything, asking that God would do something. And by dividing up these verses, we find four priorities for prayer. First, Paul prays for and prioritizes us understanding God's will. That's the first thing we see in verse 9. Then in verse 10, he prays for fruitfulness. That's the second priority for prayer. In verse 11, he prays for perseverance. And in verses 12 to 14, he prioritizes gratitude for the work of salvation in our lives. So those are Paul's four priorities, at least expressed in these verses. So let's begin with this first priority, the priority of knowing God's will. Take a look at what Paul says in verse 9 about what he asks God for when he prays for the Colossians. He prays, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. He is essentially asking God 
to fill us with a knowledge of his will that is evidenced by wisdom and understanding. The will of God here isn't so much God's specific plan for individuals' lives as much as it is God's cosmic plan in Christ, the gospel. This is what Paul means in Ephesians 1 when he says in verse 9 and 10, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the will of God as expressed in Christ that Paul wants us to grow in our understanding of. We will gain wisdom and understanding as we come to understand the gospel revealed in Christ. So Paul is praying that we may be filled to the brim with the wisdom and understanding that comes from knowing God's plan in Christ. And if this still feels a bit too abstract at this point, when Paul is praying that we be filled with the knowledge of the will of God, he's essentially praying that we will submit ourselves to the purposes of God. He is praying that we get behind or we get on board with God's plan for creation. And that's a fitting way to start a prayer, isn't it? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we ask that, that God would work out his will in the church as it is in heaven. All true prayer should be God-centered, Christ-centered. If it's not God-centered, it's not prayer to begin with. So starting off by praying that we would understand God's will is a fitting way to pray. Prioritizing what God has done and is doing as he has spoken and revealed through the scriptures and praying that we would get on board with that. Prioritizing that we would put our own will aside and submit to God's will. If we're still coming to the Lord in prayer with our own wills foremost, our own will prioritized, then we've got to ask ourselves why we're coming to God in the first place. More than many things, our prayer requests and our burdens when we pray reveal our theology most significantly, I think. What we pray for reveals what we really expect of God, what we think of God, the kind of relationship we have with God. They reveal whose plan we are really trying to achieve. If we believe God has created us ultimately to live essentially comfortable lives where he is our caretaker and we are his pets, then praying for earthly comfort would be our highest priority. That would be the first thing on our lips when we pray. Or if we believed that culture will only be transformed through the integration of conservative political values and principles in our society, then we will prioritize praying for those things. And those are not wrong things to pray for. Paul prays for comfort in 2 Corinthians. We're told to pray for our government. There's nothing wrong in praying for God's comfort in these things. But if it is God's will that you do something uncomfortable or something unfashionable in our culture's eyes, would you pray for that? Lord, help me to submit to your will in this regard. If the will of God is your sanctification, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, then are we willing to prioritize that over our comfort? We should pray that God would help us to prioritize his will above our own, that our prayers would not be so shaped by our will that we don't ask of God what we should. So that's why Paul begins by praying that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That's how he starts off. That's his first priority for prayer. But the second priority he mentions is there in verse 10, fruitfulness. He, said, he prays that we'd be filled with the knowledge of God so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So there's the key phrase, bearing fruit. Paul is prioritizing praying for fruitfulness as a result of being filled with the knowledge of God. 
if we are established in the faith, if we're on board with God's plan for creation, if we are on board with his great commission, then we should pray that we bear fruit in accord with that belief, that we bear fruit in accord with our declaration, that our words, our thoughts, and our actions honor him and are worthy of him, that we don't say one thing and live another way. This is a high priority in prayer. And as we learn later in the epistle, Paul isn't just checking in with the Colossians. He isn't just checking that they're saved and then moving on. That's, that's when the, the journey really begins, actually, when one receives Christ. That's when we step into the office of a member of the body of Christ and exercise our gifts. And so we want to be praying for, re, for fruitfulness, for productiveness in the body. And so Paul is praying that what the Colossians have received, namely the will of God expressed in the gospel of his Son, that that will result in sanctification, growth in holiness, Christ-likeness. Do our prayers prioritize sanctification? It's such a simple theological truth. We rattle it off alongside justification and glorification, but is it front and center in our prayers like it is with Paul's prayer? Is growth in the Christian life something we are burdened about? Is it something we lean on the Lord for? Obviously, when we go to the Lord in prayer, we want to go to him with our needs. But our greatest need is for gospel growth. That's not just a Christian cliche. We need to grow in our understanding and appreciation of the gospel and our love for God, our worship of him. That should be a high priority. That's what the world needs of the church. That is what the church needs of its members. That is what we need God to do in our lives through his Holy Spirit. Our prayers reveal our priorities in this way. Who of you have ever prayed in the past, and I'll raise my hand guiltily and shamedly, that South Africa would win a game of cricket or rugby? <laughs> okay, I'm not the only one, all right? I remember as a kid, South Africa playing the Cricket World Cup um, and just thinking to myself, you know, Lord, if you can just help them get these 40 runs and these three overs, then make some random commitment. And I, I remember I prayed so fervently for that as a kid. I think to myself, obviously, I was prioritizing that quite highly. Or when something terrible happened in my life, when something was going on with my parents, then I went to my knees and I prioritized that because I wanted comfort ultimately. I wasn't prioritizing my walk with the Lord. D.A. Carson's written this incredibly helpful and convicting book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, um, with the subtitle Priorities from Paul and His Prayers. And he recounts how this person's um, priorities for prayer are revealed in just a simple conversation. He said, many of us have had the experience of asking a parent, how are your children doing? Only to get an answer like this. Oh, Johnny's doing very well. His career as a research physicist has really taken off. He is the youngest person in his company to have been appointed to the board. And Evelyn is doing very well too. She's into computer programming and is already the head of her section. And how are they doing spiritually? A long pause. I'm afraid they're not really walking with the Lord at the moment but we're hoping they'll come back someday soon. Of course, the initial response of such parents may be a reflection of nothing more than privacy, a quiet and loyal concern not to disparage any family member, but too often it reflects warped priorities. I've had parents, ostensibly Christian parents, rage at me because they thought I'd influence their bright children to train for ministry, perhaps for missionary service. Others are joyous over their children's material prosperity and not terribly concerned over their children's utter indifference to the God who made them. 
It's a convicting passage, but it shows that our prayers and the things that we ask for prayer about really reveal our priorities. As long as we desire to grow in our sanctification and fruitfulness, walking worthy of the Lord, so long as we desire that, we will always have an answer to the question, is there something I can pray for? Is there something I can pray for? There should always be an answer, of course there is, unless my sanctification is finished. All right. That is, if we prioritize fruitfulness from our prayers. So that's Paul's second priority in prayers. And the third that he mentions is found there in verse 11, praying for perseverance, praying for God to sustain our faith. Read with me verse 11, where Paul says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. That is, while we are bearing fruit, while we are walking with the Lord, Paul prays that we will be strengthened for that walk. He prays that this won't be a mere flash in the pan, once-off, passionate plea for sanctification, but this, that this will be sustained over the long haul. Praying something like this reveals the reality that growth in Christ is, at many times, an uphill battle. Sanctification is not plain sailing. It's not something that comes naturally or easily. At least one of the reasons why Paul is most likely praying this is because of the temptations from the world to fall away and to give in to the flesh. And that's why Paul prays for and prioritizes praying for strength, divine power, and might to sustain us. Because we know that our sanctification is not ultimately up to us. And he doesn't prioritize strength, power, and might so that we might live successful and prospered lives. He prays this so that we would have endurance and patience with joy. He wants us to be more than mere Stoics. He wants us to have that sort of paradoxical joy at receiving persecution for the sake of the name. We need to regularly pray for faith over the long haul. Faith that sustains. We may be in a good place now spiritually and rejoice and praise God for that. But please also pray regularly. Lord, will you sustain this zeal? Will you sustain this passion? I don't know what's going to happen next week. I don't know what, what's going to happen with this interview. I don't know what's going to happen in the conversation with my boss. I don't know what's going to happen with this exam. I don't know what's around the corner. So it's natural to pray, Lord, wherever I am, may I still be within your will. May I be submitting to that. May I be producing fruit in alignment with that. So we need to prioritize praying for strength to endure, to not allow the world, the flesh, and the devil to lessen our love for the Lord or to douse our zeal, to not have our joy in the Lord be dependent on fleeting things, transient realities, but rather that we would be strengthened by the one who conquered death and brought immortality to light through the gospel. If he can raise people from the dead, he can sustain us in our walk of sanctification. So that's Paul's third priority for prayer, praying that we persevere. And then finally, Paul's fourth priority is gratitude for God's salvation. Gratitude for God's salvation. We see this in verses 12 to 14. As Paul wraps up this prayer, we read in verses 12 to 14, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul is already now transitioning from supplication 
to thankfulness, and as we see continuing into the letter, into praise, as he goes into this Christ hymn, he is the image of the invisible God. So he's moving from supplication to gratitude, and this is his next priority. He says, yes, you can ask of God things. Ask that his will would be done in your life. Ask that he would produce fruit. Ask that he would sustain that fruit and help you persevere, but also be grateful continually throughout that. Wrap that in gratitude and thankfulness. He prays not only that we will ask God for certain things, but that we would come to better appreciate and value those things. That's essentially what gratitude is. It's an expression of value. Praying prayers of thankfulness is a way of prioritizing our values, expressing to the Lord how much we value Him. The things we most regularly thank God for are clearly the things we most value, right? It's a common prayer of mine to thank God for safety, security, provision, Food, clothing, community, family, friends, good health. But do we value God more than those things? Do we thank God for him? Do we thank him for his gospel? Do we value being qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints? That inheritance being the kingdom of God that Anton preached about from Mark 10 last week. Eternal life. Through the perfection of his son, Jesus, we have been qualified and justified so that we can stand in the assembly with a clear conscience. Satan no longer tempting us to despair. Our sins are forgiven. We've been delivered. Like Israel of old, Jesus has led us out of captivity, destroying death and overthrowing the evil one. And we who are born naturally loving evil, and preferring the incognito mode of our sinful desires, have had that sin lovingly and gently exposed and dealt with at the cross. And having been given a new identity in the Son, we are now part of a new dominion, a new rule. We are born into a new embassy of this kingdom, a kingdom of light, love, and truth. When last do you pray a prayer of gratitude for these things? These words should roll off, our tips, uh, roll off our lips naturally as we are soaked in the Scriptures and see what really matters, see what's most valuable. How high up on your priority list is the gospel? So let's pray even tonight with these priorities in mind, praying for understanding and submission to God's will, praying for fruitfulness, praying for perseverance, and as we partake of the Lord's Supper later, expressing thanksgiving for God's salvation in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray that you would produce fruit in us that is Christ-shaped, that is Christ-like, that produces true holiness. We pray that you would sustain that. Help us to persevere, Lord. And we thank you with all our hearts for the great work that you have done through your son on the cross. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the great price that was, prayed, that was paid. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the conquering king. Amen.